to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B Tech Companies, a podcast by Brightvision. Here, you will learn how to generate great leads from the most experienced B2B sales and marketing people. Your host today, and always, is Jakob Levenbrand, CEO at Brightvision. Let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's uh, episode of uh, the Lead Generation podcast. Today, we have Nancy Herhat with us here today. Hello, Nancy. Hello, Jacob. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so good to have you with us today in the podcast here. So, Nancy, you're a marketing expert and a well-known speaker at different marketing conferences and so on. And we know that you're especially passionate about the impact of behavioral science and what that has uh, to do with marketing. And you often teach us around those things on conferences. But um, um, it would be good if you would just give us the background. What brought you into both psychology and behavioral science as well as the marketing career you have there <laughs> ah sure sure it's a long story but i'll make it very short <laughs> um i mean i started out in journalism quickly switched over to marketing and then i read a book by robert cialdini where he talked about um the science of of persuasion and that just got me hooked on the idea of behavioral science and i began to dig you know, more and more into the topic, read whatever I could from behavioral economists and social scientists about how people make decisions. And I thought this is wonderful because marketers at the end of the day are trying to get people to make decisions, to try, to buy, to buy again, to offer up some data so that uh, we can better target our communications. But marketers are always trying to get someone to make a decision. And behavioral economists and social scientists have studied how people make decisions. And they've found a lot out about uh, the way people make decisions, the decision-making shortcuts and decision defaults that they have and different things that can quickly prompt someone to make one decision over another. And I thought that is really good information for marketers to have. And, And once I started to pursue that path, I just continued on it and started to apply the information to pieces that I was doing for my clients. We began to test, we began to see great results and uh, uh, the rest is history. I just haven't, uh, haven't stopped. Oh, that's great, interesting. And you continue to develop a lot of new content and ideas around this uh, area as well. So that's a really fascinating story you got there. And um, I know you're uh, consulted by many companies around this. And that's what we're gonna talk about a bit today as I thought. So since you're so um, interesting in this uh, with behavioral patterns and the science behind that and psychology and so on, um, have you, how do you do when you put that work into marketing, which you're working with today? Sure. So it, it really is something that you can use regardless of the channel that you're working in. So it could be, uh, you could use behavioral science in the content that you're developing and the emails that you're doing. You can use behavioral science if you're um, face-to-face talking to a customer or on the phone in uh, telemarketing. You can use it in print and direct mail and broadcast. Uh, it, it's really, you know, channel agnostic. And uh, what you want to do is you, you just want to familiarize yourself with Uh, the information that social scientists and behavioral economists have found about these 
decision-making triggers that are out there and start to apply them to your marketing strategies and your marketing creative. So, um, you know, for example, social scientists have found that when people are not sure what decision to make, they look to others, particularly others like themselves. So if you were developing content or an email campaign where you were trying to attract leads, you might mention in that content or in that email that uh, lots of other CEOs have made this decision or lots of other um, HR directors have cho chosen this product or lots of other people uh, you know, have, have purchased this and these are people just like you who live in your area or who are um, you know, th the same age as you or who have children like you. So anything that you can do to just point out that the product or service that you're promoting has already been chosen by people like the target you're promoting it to makes that target feel more comfortable making the decision. And that's just one example, but it's really just, uh, it's, it's using the behavioral science in any channel that you happen to be operating in to just make that message a little bit more effective and a little bit more likely uh, to be responded to. And those are the things that uh, as a practitioner, uh, practitioner marketeer, it's all hard to, to know which words to use in which uh, way and so on. And one area that I know a lot of marketeers, myself included, always think is a bit tricky is email and especially subject titles for email sendouts and so on, where we always struggle to increase the conversion rate to open and to engagement and so on. Do you have any feedback for practicing marketeers around that. Absolutely. And, and you're right, Jacob. Um, there's a, a, a lot of um, emphasis around emails and, you know, making sure that, that they perform and we get the return that, that we're looking for. And subject lines are really very, very important because mm. if the subject line doesn't work, nobody's going to open the email and, you know, you can have a wonderful offer or really terrific news inside that email. But if people don't offer it, or if people don't open it, rather, if people don't open the email, they're never going to get to the information. So subject lines are, are really very, very critical. And it's interesting. There are some proven approaches for subject lines that seem to stand the test of time. Um, and then there are some newly emerging ones that uh, people are testing and they're getting a lot of good response with. So I follow a company called World Data and they test about 6 billion emails across the world. And they just came out with uh, some interesting information about what seems to be working right now. And they found that if you use um, initial caps in your emails, so if you capitalize the first letter of each word in your subject line, you can expect a 14% lift in response. And if you use brackets or parentheses in your subject line, you can expect a 28% response. If you have a question mark at the end of your subject line, that's good for a 14% lift in response. They also found that um, if you uh, have a half sentence, so you, you begin to say something like, oh, the most important thing is, and then you go dot, 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 and you have to open the email to find out what that most important thing is, that gets a 37% um, lift in response. So those were very interesting, I thought, um, new techniques that we can use as, as uh, email marketers when we're crafting our subject lines. Uh, some of those I hadn't really thought of to use before. And then I think that there are also some approaches to writing subject lines that consistently work well. Um, 
you know, anything involving urgency. So expiration dates, last chance, this week only, those are uh, great ways to drive opens because people hate to miss out. We talk about FOMO, fear of missing out, but people don't want to miss out. And if there's a deadline coming up, if they've only got a, a limited amount of time to do something, that's when they actually take action. So popping a deadline in a, a subject line is a good way to get someone to open it uh, using the words minutes, or um, today or now, those are all good ways to get someone to, uh, to open an email. And, uh, and then another way that seems to have stood the test of time is um, appealing to people's egos. And this is true both in business to business and in business to consumer because we're all most interested in ourselves. You know, what, what can make my life better, whether I'm at home or at, at the office. And so anything in, involving the behavioral science principle of exclusivity is good. So if you say just for and the person's name or just for um, marketing managers or just for engineers or just for young moms, but anytime you can make a piece seem uh, much more relevant and targeted, that will get you about a 20% lift in opening rate. So those are some of the ways that, uh, that we can begin to craft our emails, uh, craft our email subject lines to make sure that people actually decide to open them and engage with the email. Oh, that is a great, re great response to that question. And I totally agree. Uh, and so interesting to hear about that statistics around the different uh, ways to formulate uh, subject titles. Uh, and we, at Brightition and together with our clients uh, work uh, all the time trying to make the content as relevant as possible in the different campaigns we design and so on. But it's always a little bit, uh, of course, knowledge around buyer personas and so on that uh, gets into it in the equation as well. Have you seen any trends lately around what kind of content is getting more traction or less traction or more conversions uh, lately? Or is there any trends in that area you have come across? Uh, yeah, I've, I've noticed a few, Jacob. Um, it seems like uh, anything that's involving, so quizzes, polls, questions, that has a tendency to do well. Things that are useful, videos, guides, white papers, always do well. Video, there's been a huge uh, uh, increase in interest in video. And then, um, you know, current topics, if you can take a, a current topic and um, kind of piggyback on it, you know, kind of use it uh, to then pivot to the topic you want to talk about, or if you have a new way of looking at an older technology or an existing technology, people seem to be particularly interested in that. But I think, you know, what it comes down to is content that can be um, referred to that's actually useful, as well as content that can be shared. So when, when people share content, it's usually because they want it to reflect well on themselves. They want to look like they're thought leaders or that they're very knowledgeable about a particular subject. And so if you can provide content that's either going to help them do their jobs or help them position themselves the way they want to be, uh, that seems to work very well too. And then there are, I think, some of the, um, you know, there's been a lot of buzz, buzz around stories and storytelling, and, and that makes a lot of sense. So content involving stories is, is always good. And the interesting thing about stories is uh, when we hear stories, 
they affect our brains differently than if we were just dealing with facts and, and uh, figures. If we had just a very factual bit of information with maybe some statistics, that would engage a couple of areas of our, of our brain, Broca's area and Wernicke's area. Those are the two areas that are responsible for processing language. So essentially you, you read something and you understand it. But if there's a story, stories involve emotions, stories involve feelings, and as a result, stories activate other parts of your brain. So if, if you read about um, somebody running down the hallway, that would activate the motor cortex in your brain. Or if you read about the smell of fresh brewed coffee wafting under the, the door, that would activate the olfactory cortex in your brain. And the idea here is the more parts of your brain that are activated, the better you understand the information and the longer you retain it. And I think that's the scientific explanation as to why stories and storytelling is such a, a hot trend right now in, um, in marketing and in particular in content marketing. And so if I'm going to do a social media campaign and I want to create a good interaction and, and good conversion, I should probably do a video with a good story in it, storytelling something that also includes somebody running down a hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You've got it, Jacob. All right. Yeah. And, and let me know how that goes because the success rate should be very high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must try that. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the other thing that uh, that that works well, if if you don't want to do a story about someone running down the hallway, um, information that um, is easily digestible. So, uh, five tips to get better response rates, or how to increase your response rates, or seven mistakes to avoid when sending emails. Uh, those aren't stories, but they're very good bits of um, of uh, information that uh, people gravitate to, you know, it, it's easily digestible, it's manageable, it, it seems uh, like you know exactly what you're gonna get. It's a very specific uh, answer to a specific question. You know, if it says seven mistakes to avoid, it's gonna be easily organized and, and digestible or five tips to achieve or how to, uh, and, and people like that kind of information because it answers a question that they have and it, it provides um, useful bite-sized bits of information. So if you, if you don't want to do the story about the guy running down the hall, go with something informative like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good, good recommendation there. Thanks, Nancy. Another question around that, since we've been talking about our attention span and how we delete emails within uh, 0.7 seconds and so on, have you seen any studies or results around uh, how our attention span and what we tend to focus on in the inbox have evolved over the last few years. So uh, yeah, the, um, the the attention span seems to be getting smaller and smaller. There's a um, statistic that's been flying around the web saying that uh, humans have um, an attention span that's a, a second or so less than a goldfish, that goldfish actually have longer attention spans. And I, I don't know if that's true. I don't even know how they would measure the attention span of a goldfish, but, uh, but that, uh, um, bit of information has been uh, circulating around the web. And I think regardless of whether or not the goldfish has a better attention span than we do, I think we can all agree that it's getting harder and harder to attract people's attention and, and harder and harder to, uh, to hold it. So one of the things that I've seen that, that um, seems to be working very well is the idea of surprise or something that's unexpected. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about just making um, the, the first letter of each word in your subject line, a capital letter, and that can get you a 14% increase in opening rate. And the reason for that is 
most people don't do it. So as you're scanning your inbox, that jumps out at you. So there's a social science principle called the von Restorff effect. And it basically means that people notice and recall things that are different. So we pay attention to things that are different. So if all of the emails have, uh, you know, just lowercase letters, and then they find, then you find one where each word starts with an initial cap, you pay attention to that because that's different. Same thing with the brackets, you know, most emails don't have a bracket, but if yours does, you can expect people to pay attention to it because it's different. Emojis, uh, a few years ago, I would have said, if someone asked me, you know, how do you feel about emojis? I would say, well, for certain companies, certain products and services, maybe they work, but for, for many of them, they won't. It's not right for the brand. It would be tougher for business to business. And I've since changed my, my way of thinking because the latest statistics I've seen show that um, emojis can get anywhere between a 26 and a 34% increase in opening rates. And again, it's because as you're scanning your inbox, not every subject line is going to have an emoji, a little smiley face or picture of a heart or an arrow or, or whatever. And, uh, and so as a result, you, you pay attention to it. And the other, um, the other bit of information uh, or research that I came upon recently had to do with surprise. It came out of um, the University of Glasgow, and they found that um, surprise immediately focuses your attention and it increases your um, emotions by about 400%. And both of those things make it more likely that you're going to focus your attention. So if you can surprise someone either by what you're saying or by what uh, your imagery or your visual is, that's a really good thing to do. And I think that both of those things, the von Restorff effect and the psychology of surprise, really will be helpful in terms of getting people to, to pay attention and, and notice your marketing message. Good to hear. And I think that is just in line with what we see quite a lot of today, that B2C marketing is making its way into B2B marketing. We're trying to get more creative in the more industrial marketing and, and use consumer tactics in order to get the attention from business professionals. So I definitely think we can see the creativity's return to process-oriented marketing in the coming years uh, since, as you say, we'll see a good return investment on, on things that stand out, that's creative and, and uh, catches our attention when we're going through our inbox or social medias. Yes, yes. I, I think, um, you know, to, to um, add on to what you're saying, Jacob, about borrowing some of the business to consumer techniques and bringing them into the business to business arena, um, the idea of, of increasing focus on emotion in business to business is one that, uh, that we should talk about for a bit because mm. uh, a lot of times we think, oh, there's really not a lot of role for emotion in business to business marketing. Uh, you know, the decision-making is much more clear cut. It's a cost benefit analysis. It comes down to price. Uh, you know, it comes down to what's the best thing for the company. But while all of that certainly does play a role, there's more and more evidence that suggests that, uh, you know, individuals and how, um, and how things are going to affect them within a company makes a difference. So if, if you're the decision maker, or even if you're the, uh, the influencer, you wanna do something that's good for the company, but you're also thinking about how is this gonna make me look to my boss or to my shareholders or to my team? Uh, does it make my life easier? Will I be able to get out of work on time? Will I uh, uh, be able to accomplish more? Will I look good to the people who are reviewing me? Definitely, personal uh, emotion comes into play even in a business-to-business -business environment and so linking 
um, emotion to some of the business to business products and services we sell is another thing that I think we're going to see a, a lot more of in 2020. And I, I definitely think we can see that. I even heard that nowadays a lot of events being arranged is uh, taking a lot of uh, into consideration how to set up Instagram moments or places so people actually can, you know, take Instagram pictures when they're at a corporate event just because people want to share and be cool or having a, a nice uh, Instagram picture taking or so on. So yeah, I, I totally agree that we will see those two mix up quite a lot. So good, good thing there. And that brings us to trends in 2020. This is a really good trend you say there that emotions will make its way into corporate marketing and B2B marketing. Do you see any other clear trends for 2020 that we as marketeers should be aware about? Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to be seeing more emotion. I think that um, you know we were just talking about uh, visuals and Instagram. I think that uh, we're going to see an increased focus on on visuals, uh, but they're going to be clean. They're going to be simple, uh, uncluttered. Uh, we're going to see, I think, even more video, and um, we're also going to see uh, less content. We're going to see better created better curated and, uh, and better deployed content. And there's not going to be as much just keep generating content and throwing it out there uh, because I need to check it off the list. You know, I, I sent something, I sent something, I sent something. Mm. And it's going to be a much more of a, a planned, much more of a strategic approach where it's not that I sent something, it's that I, I sent something good. I sent something that resonated. I sent something that, um, that my audience want to hear. It's going to be less about what do I as a company want to say and more about what do my prospects and customers want to consume. I think we're going to be, we're seeing, we're going to be seeing a lot more of that, you know, a, a, a kind of a, another way of looking at content. And it's not just about uh, getting it out there, checking it off the list, but it's a much more considered approach and it, it will very, very well result in a little bit less output, but it's going to be better, more targeted output. Put. And then, um, then of course, because I'm really very interested in behavioral science, I really do believe more and more companies are going to start to incorporate behavioral science into their marketing plans, into their content creation, because the evidence definitely shows that, uh, that it's effective and that it works. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. And one thing I was thinking about how to do that, how, how do you incorporate behavioral science into your marketing? Do you do you recommend companies to, to implement some kind of testing similar to A-B testing or, or try to see and, and learn from their audiences what works and what doesn't or what increases their send out or their social posts with 14%? Um, or, you know, so where should you start if you're a marketeer and, you know, are planning 2020 now and would like to start working with behavioral science? What's the first two, three steps to take there? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because someone might uh, might say, "Gee, this sounds really interesting," but now what? And um, so I, I think testing is absolutely the way to go because uh, what works for somebody may not work for for another company. There really is no silver bullet. And when I talk about behavioral science, you know, we're we're talking about the automatic, instinctive, reflexive reactions that people have, the decision making shortcuts that we all rely on. Uh, 
the, the truth is you can never make somebody do something that they do not want to do. So very often as, as people were kind of cruising along on autopilot, thinking about a lot of different things at the same time. And um, so we're, we're not really in the moment focused on any individual decision. And that's why a, a nudge or a prompt from behavioral science can easily you know, send you in one direction or another. You're, you're scanning your inbox, you see the word now, that pulls you in, whereas another word maybe wouldn't. Or you're thinking about a couple of products and uh, you see one that says, this is our most popular, and you immediately go to that because it says it's, it's the most popular. But, um, but if you were never ever going to buy that product to begin with, the fact that it's the most popular wouldn't really make a difference to you. So uh, there is no silver bullet, but if somebody is kind of in the market or considering going in the market, a lot of these behavioral science techniques can nudge them further uh, along in the direction that you want. And that's when you want to start uh, testing them. And what you want to do is you want to think about who your market is, what the mindset of your, of your target is, think about your product, think about or your, your product or your service, think about why somebody may not want to buy right away, what questions they might have, what things may be holding them back, what buying barriers there are. And then you want to think about the behavioral science that may help to answer those questions or overcome those buying barriers. And then you want to start to test. So uh, for example, you might be introducing a, a new service and you might be thinking, okay, people may be a little hesitant to buy because um, they're, they're not sure it's going to be good for them or they're not sure we're the best provider. So you might think about testing some social proof messaging, which shows other people like you have already made this purchase. Or you might think about using the authority principle, uh, which is basically that people uh, respect and respond to authority. So if an authority says something is good, you believe them. And if authority says you should try this, you usually do. So if you had an endorsement from a, um, a third party, maybe it was uh, a trade association or, or a respectable uh, trade publication, or maybe you were featured on uh, the news, you know, you, you pull that in and suddenly people think, oh, okay, that, you know, that's, a, that's a, a good company, I can trust them. So you start to think about why somebody may not want to do what you want them to do. And then you start to pull in the various behavioral science principles that you might be able to test to overcome that buying barrier. And then you, you do a limited test, you start to see where you're getting traction, what's starting to work, and then you build out from there and you start to roll out further and further. Um, it's always great to read about uh, the, the successes that other, other companies have because you can start to borrow from them. It's good to read the, uh, the books that are coming out of um, academia and research to find out what the social scientists and behavioral economists are, are uh, learning. But really the best approach I think is to tailor uh, a message for your particular situation and then start testing it to see where you get the best response. Great answer there. Um, so, so in order to, if we will take it to generating leads, which is one of our specialties, of course, as, as an agency for clients, to, to uh, summarize it a bit here, we should try to get them interested by using the right wordings. We should test the campaigns so we can try and see which wordings and also which visuals works the best when trying to communicate through different channels. So, but is there any mistakes you see over and over again that's easy to learn from or, or as a quick learning from your side there, 
what should we try to not to do <laughs> when setting up our campaigns and tests here? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. You know, we're talking a lot about what people should do, but um, what you shouldn't do is, is arguably more important. In fact, that even that tracks to a behavioral science principle called loss aversion, where we're twice as motivated to avoid the pain of loss as we are to achieve the pleasure of gain. So you're tapping right into it. You know, sure, I want to know what I should do, but I really want to know what to avoid because that's the, that's the mistake I don't want to make. Um, I think one of the most common mistakes is as marketers, we have all this information that we want to get out there because we, we genuinely believe, we really believe that our product, our service is a good one, our company is a good one, and we just want to get the information out there because if, if people just knew what we knew, they also would love our, our company and our product and our service. And so we unleash the floodgates and we just put everything out there, all the information that we possibly can. And we think, well, you know, somebody might find this interesting. Somebody else might find this useful. And then a third person, you know, they might need some other information. So I'm going to put it all out there. And um, that way everyone will, will find what they need. And I think that's what the, the mistake is. We're um, so enamored of, we love so much our, our products and our services and our companies that we just put all this information out there. And it's, it's hard for people to find what they're looking for. And a lot of times they're not interested in, in what we have to say. They're interested in something else. They, they're looking for something in particular. So I really think that uh, it's a mistake not to step back and think about what is it that your customer or your prospect wants to know? How can you best help them? It's, it's not the rush to make a sale. It's, it's providing the information that will help someone decide they want to use your company, they want to engage with your company, and it's not all about just pushing information out, it's providing the, the right information. And I think a, a great way to help decide what the right information is, is to think about the questions that your customers or your prospects come to you with, the questions that your salespeople get, the questions that the uh, telesales reps or customer service reps on the phone get, uh, the questions that come in, you know, on chat or get submitted online, you know, look at what it is people are trying to discover, what they're trying to learn, what they're, uh, what they're wrestling with, and provide content around that. And that's what's, what's really going to work. And that's a good way to, um, to, to pull back and not just be sending out stuff people aren't interested in and instead send out content that people really do want to engage with is that the mistake is we send out too much and it's not the right information. Yeah. So one theme for 2020 could probably less is more being uh, more quality focused rather than just quantity and keeping the, the pace of publishing content high. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's great. Nancy, you have provided us with so much great insights and ideas around how to apply behavioral science and psychology to increase our marketing outcome and how to increase conversion rates and so on. This has been fantastic. So thank you so much for that. I know there's a lot of people who want to check you out online. So where can we send them? Well, uh, they can follow me on Twitter at N-H-A-R-H-U-T, N-H-A-R-H-U-T. They can find me on LinkedIn, they can find me on Facebook, or they can email me. I'd love to hear from some of your listeners. And they can email me at N-H-A-R-H-U-T, N-H-A-R-H-U-T, at me.com, M-E.com. And I'd love to hear from people. 
Thank you for listening to Lead Generation Strategies for B2B tech companies. Don't forget to subscribe. You will find it where podcasts live. Discover how we can help you with your lead generation activities at brightvision.com.